one of the KPIs that neobanks struggle with is the customer acquisition cost, the cost for them to bring a customer onto their platform, right? You just like put up a billboard and say like, hey, bank with me. There's no why inherent in that. And the thing that we have working in our favor is that we're focused on a specific audience. Hi, Offscripters. It's your host, Sewa Ajay Pele, and welcome to episode 186 of the She's Offscript podcast. This is a show where we hear and learn from women who've created unique blueprints for their business success. My hope is that you'll hear their stories and translate their gems into a unique path for yourself. While working for a venture capitalist, Kelly Eiffel saw firsthand the inequity that black and brown founders faced when seeking funding for their businesses. Of all the things she could have done to address this problem, Kelly decided to build her own digital bank. If you enjoy listening to this podcast, would you consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts? This will help other listeners like you discover our show as they look for resources to launch their own off-script journeys. With that, let's go off-script with the CEO of Guava Digital Bank, Kelly Eiffel. Kelly Eiffel, welcome to She's Off-Script. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. So for anyone who hasn't come across you before, could you share who you are and what you do? Sure. I'm Kelly Eiffel. I'm the founder and CEO of Guava. Uh, We are a digital bank and community platform designed specifically to serve Black entrepreneurs, small business owners, and creators. Okay. So you own a bank now. Not many people can say that. So clearly you saw a need when it came to the, the community and the problem that you're trying to address. So what led you to found a bank? Yeah, um, it's a winding road. I definitely didn't wake up one. I guess I did wake up one morning and said, you know what I'm going to do. But it took, you know, um, several years and steps for me to get here. I um, worked in venture capital after business school. And it's a very white space. I don't know how to say that. I'm sure I can say that with like less, you know. Mm-hmm. Not very diverse. Yeah. It's not. It's not. It's what it is. And so as a Black woman in that space and the fund that I was at had a um, a startup kind of residency. Obviously, this is pre-pandemic when people were in offices. So mm. uh, we gave a year of space to um, startups, so startup founders. And so I was literally sitting, you know, shoulder to shoulder with founders every day and I took it upon myself to like make space for black um, and brown founders in that program. And so in that job, I started working more with founders just like on the side to help them with their pitch deck, help them like get into programs like ours if it wasn't ours. Um, And it just like turned into something bigger. Um, And a friend and I kind of like organized ourselves around it. And so we said, we're going to work with Black founders at the friends and family stage because raising a friends and family round as a Black person is like a Herculean feat because we just like don't have the same access to capital, mm-hmm. wealth. Um, and that work essentially led me to Guava. Um, I personally believe that entrepreneurship is a, you know, a lever for wealth creation. We see it. We, like you talk to all of these entrepreneurs who are building multi-million dollar businesses. So it's it's real. My family lived it. We're immigrants and built businesses, small businesses in, in America. And that's what like allowed us to live comfortably. Um, and so 
working in venture capital, it was obvious that that is true, but not always equitable for Black founders. And, you know, having a family that built small businesses and then working with entrepreneurs who were building businesses that weren't profitable, but were raising millions of dollars that created this like dissonance for me. Mm. Um, and so I decided I wanted to work with, you know, entrepreneurs like my family who were building regular businesses that are profitable, that were in community, that were serving a need. But, you know, we're also dealing with like these really intractable problems that like made it hard for them to get a business credit card or a business bank account. Um, and so that's kind of where I started. Just like, how do I create a foundation for entrepreneurs to make everything else that you need to build on top of it easier, right? Mm-hmm. Like, most Black people live in a big desert, which is unfortunate, like 70% or something like that of us live in neighborhoods where we're not physically proximate to a bank branch. And so it just makes every everything that should be easy much more difficult. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of why I started Baba. Long story. <laughs> no, perfect story. So what does one do when she sets out to build a bank? What steps did you take? Yeah, I um so I was still at my job. Um this was 2020. Um and I, you know, we we all had way more time on our hands than we knew what to do with. Mm-hmm. And I took the opportunity to kind of just join a startup like accelerator program. It was virtual. Um I did it, you know, when I was not working or kind of not working. Uh, <laughs> and it just allowed me the like the switch to be able to think about this idea that I had, you know, more than just on the nights and weekends and kind of create structure. And so the first thing that I did was just like talk to people who worked in the industry, understand like what are all of the things that I need to have in place? You know, how do you start? Where do you start? I got a lot of introductions. I asked a lot of stupid questions. And as I like got answers to those, I like started to ask more nuanced questions. Um, I made a really, really ugly pitch deck. And you would think as someone who worked in venture that like I would make a better pitch deck, but like, I was like all the information's there, but it was poorly designed. Um, And it's just different when you're looking at other people's work versus your own. It's just to be introspective is difficult. Absolutely is. Um, and also like you have, you know, all of this insight. So I'm kind of starting to build it with all the questions that I would ask myself in mind. So you don't have the like benefit of, um, you know, of ignorance. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was able to like use in my network to get early investors that allowed me to leave my job and actually start Guava, build like the platform, hire some engineers um, to do it and and launch. So it's interesting that you took the same step a lot of people do, which was to join the accelerator to at least get you the connections that you needed to get in order to springboard into what you were doing. Yeah. I mean, it was less the connection because I did start you know, I had a network in the space already, mm-hmm. but it was more of like the normalization of it and the like, I need someone else to like look at this pitch deck. I like, I don't want to go to an investor to like give me feedback on mm-hmm. a draft deck or like asking all of the silly questions. 
mm-hmm. um, getting introductions to industry experts, like those kinds of things were really mm-hmm. helpful. And just the like the two to three hours a day that it forced me to be thinking critically about what I wanted to build um, mm-hmm. was really helpful more than anything else, I think. Okay. So maybe you can set the stage for us and share what's the difference between a traditional bank that we've all walked into versus a digital bank or a neobank that I, a term I've, I've heard you use as well. What's yeah. the difference? Um, there, yeah, there's like a, a SEC regulation. We, we have to say digital bank. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, the difference is, well, it's, it's really, it's mainly technical actually, right? So like, you know, think about like, fill in the blank bank on the corner. They have a bank charter um, that is granted to them by the government. They're regulated. They have a branch. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and banks like Guava, we are, or digital banks like Guava, we have a partner bank. And so that gives us the same level of insurance. So all of our accounts are FDIC insured in the same mm-hmm. way. We have to abide by the same regulations and same scrutiny. Um, so like compliance, all of that is the same, except that instead of us holding the charter, we have a partner that holds the charter and we're able to use essentially their, um, like lease out their their charter. Um, mm. Our accounts sit at their, you know, at their bank. And so we kind of, we create the front end essentially experience for all of our members. Um, and that partner bank gives us the the backend infrastructure regulations, all that stuff. Got it. So I did see that Piermont, I believe, is your your partner bank. How did you come about the relationship with them, and what do you say to them when you initially approach them to become a partner bank for someone that just started? Yeah, um, it's funny because we it was a long conversation. Someone introduced us. Um, who like had been a, a bit of a Sherpa for me in some ways of just like making really valuable introductions early on. Um, and they, I was really keen to have either a black owned partner bank or a minority owned partner bank. Um, and so that narrowed the field quite a bit. Um, and there aren't, like I can't go to Chase to do this um, or Wells or any of the other like brand name commercial banks. Um, there are specific institutions that do this kind of work. It, there are some technical capabilities that they need to have in place as well as just like wanting or the capacity to do it. Mm. Um, and so at the time, there weren't any Black-owned banks who were doing this. And so that was really frustrating um, because I wanted to be able to like create this like virtuous cycle where our our members' capital was sitting at a bank that was, you know, in a community that they would be serving and just kind of creating that relationship. So I could do that. Um, and so of the MDIs, Paramount was one of the only ones. And so this this person who had made an interest, known that kind of was my perspective on the, the banking relationship and bank partner I wanted to have, made an introduction to Paramount. And they really understood the mission of Guava um, like the first conversation. Um, and so it was like his met. Mm. Well, I like that you were able to make it happen in the way that felt um, true to the mission that you have. But at the end of the day, you are a business, you are a bank. And given that your customers' accounts and your bank deposits are not sitting directly with you, how are you making money? Yeah, we make money in a couple of ways. And so when our members use their Guava card, um, there's 
thing called interchange. Essentially, we we generate revenue from the card swipes. We get a percentage of their spend. Um, and then we're rolling out um, a membership for for our um, for our members, essentially, and so creating kind of a second tier of resources for entrepreneurs to you know get access to to experts, to business coaches that can kind of really guide them along the way, and honestly, be like the sherpa that I had mm-hmm. um, when I was starting Guava, and so thinking about like all the folks who don't quite know where to start. Who will like start on Google and be like, how do I start a candle making business and get a bunch of resources and be overwhelmed and like take longer than necessary because of that, like that feeling of being overwhelmed or having all of these resources, but not the sequence of steps. Um, and so kind of creating that smoother path for entrepreneurs is what we're building. Ah, so Oftentimes when businesses specialize on one specific race or group of people, you will often hear people say that the niching down or the narrowing down um, may not be enough for them to build a profitable business. Mm-hmm. So how would you respond to that? Yeah, it's always funny when I hear that. It's like I expect it automatically. And so I always talk about just the size of the market. And so mm-hmm. There are over 3 million Black-owned businesses in the country, and that census data, which is like notoriously inaccurate. And so, you know, we can like multiply that probably by a factor of two to three because it doesn't account for, you know, the folks that are building businesses in their kitchen table, like doing taxes or like Mm -hmm. making shea butter. Like none of those are represented on a census, Um, but they're Guava members. Um, and I also cite that Black women are the fastest growing entrepreneurial group in the country. And so not only do entre- Black entrepreneurs make up a large segment of small businesses who are, you know, particularly underserved um, mm-hmm. and like eager for something like Wava, the fastest growing segment of entrepreneurs also are our members. Um, and so, you know, for me, it's it's a no-brainer to build something for Black people, to build something for Black women, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's just a matter of like articulating that um, that market trend to investors who may not be aware. Mm. Yeah, just to press you further on that, though, I would say your class of business historically hasn't been hitting profitability. So how are you innovating as far as the financial products that you're offering in order to make sure that you do buck the, the industry trend and, you know, become profitable. Yeah. And so I think really like kind of that Sherpa ex- example that I'm talking about mm-hmm. does a lot to ensure that entrepreneurs are able to build sustainable and profitable businesses, right? So a lot of the reasons that folks aren't profitable isn't because they're, you know, creating something that other people don't want. And so if we take a barbershop, for example, that might have really low margins, but like a full shop every day or like, you know, a completely stacked calendar, it's about supporting that entrepreneur to make the best inventory decisions, the best pricing decisions to be able to market themselves higher and do the things that will help them scale to profitability or increase profitability or increasing that margin. And so really being able to have that personalized or like high touch relationship with entrepreneurs. I often talk about um, kind of the experience that high net worth individuals have with personal bankers or wealth managers, Mm -hmm. right? The idea that there is someone, there is a banker who, you know, has your best interests in in mind Mm -hmm. um, and your success in mind, which is, you know, 
inextricably linked to their success yeah. um, means that there is someone in the background working for you, making the best recommendations for you and your business, for your family, for your tax burden, all of those things. And so giving Black entrepreneurs that like personal banker or personal wealth manager experience um, is really important and what we believe will help to increase the profitability of these businesses because it's not about like just a bank account or giving someone resources. It really is being able to tie those two things together and kind of help someone along their journey. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Just to be more specific there, um, neobanks in general also are having trouble becoming profitable. Yeah. Yeah. How are you approaching that? Yeah. So you know, the benefit that we have is our focus or like the niche market that we're focused on. One of the things or one of the KPIs that neobanks struggle with is the customer acquisition cost, the cost for them to bring a customer onto their platform, Mm -hmm. right? You just like put up a billboard and say like, hey, bank with me. There's no why inherent in that. And the thing that we have working in our favor is that we're focused on a specific audience that we can say, hey, we're building this for you, by you, ultimately. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, we understand the like unique lived experience of these entrepreneurs and can drill down into what it means to be an entrepreneur, a Black entrepreneur building a product-based business, building an e-commerce business, maybe at the family business that they've inherited, right? Like, we can really have, you know, more bespoke products for them as we grow, as our member base grows, because we're focused as opposed to other institutions or other neobanks that are generalized and not serving anyone. How are you going about acquiring new customers? You've had a lot of great press and I'm sure that's helped as well. It has helped. It has helped. Um, We've benefited from that immensely and have, you know, gotten a lot of organic growth um, up until this point. We've not done a whole lot of marketing. And so mm-hmm. now this year we'll be doing more marketing. Um, you know, we have some partnerships like MasterCard is a huge partner of ours that we'll be utilizing more to, you know, ensure that we're proximate to our members doing events in certain, you know, geographies to bring people on board, as well as to like get to know them more, understand their their needs, solve some of their problems in person, um, and use those as acquisition uh, mechanisms. Okay. So it sounds like in general, the fact that you have niched down into a specific market is what's going to ultimately propel your success. Um, But today we are finding that there are other market headwinds, let's say. Silicon Valley Bank went under recently. And as a result, I think uh, other banks are stressed and lending less, local banks are lending less. How has that impacted you as you're trying to grow? Um, And do you find that it's impacting your ability to stay on mission with funding and lending to small business owners? Yeah, it's been an interesting moment. Um, Prior to Silicon Valley Bank, no one was really talking about commercial banking um, in this way. And so for us, it's been a little bit of a, a, head, a, a tailwind to some extent because people are rethinking their relationships with their banking institutions. Mm. They're saying like, okay, we were all banked at SVB or maybe even people who weren't necessarily in tech because of the headline are you know thinking about the impact of like where their money sits. Is it FDIC insured? Do I know the people at this institution in such a way that I can call someone 
and they'll pick up the phone or email someone and they'll respond. And so in that way, it's worked, you know, in our favor to be, you know, kind of this relationship focused bank or digital bank, um, because that's always been our, you know, our raison d'etre. Like we've always said, we want to know our members as well as they know themselves, like as well as they know their businesses so we can help support them. Um, And so it's been kind of like great for us to some extent. Wow. And so is it just you? I, I assume it's not, but how are you creating a support structure that allows you to be so high touch with your members? Because now remember, we don't have a branch we can walk into for a personal banker. Yeah. So we have we have a small team, small and mighty. Um, but one thing that um we did really early on is invest in, you know, community and customer service. So there are like people leading those efforts at Guava. We don't outsource it. There's a person that is responding to every email that's answering calls or, you know, reaching out cold um, to our members if there are problems. If we see them stuck in our pipeline somewhere, Mm -hmm. you know, we're able to do that. Um, We have a community platform where people can, you know, talk to each other, but also talk to us. Um, And I also do like 15 minute member calls with everyone when they sign up um, just as a way to say like, hi, and thank you. I'll keep doing them until like, I can't. And I mm-hmm. think that's a good problem to have. Um, and they're always fun. So I try to do those every day. Um, and so there are, you know, multiple touch points that I have that the team has with with our members to make sure that, you know, we we know them, but also that there is like a human experience behind all of this for, mm-hmm. for our members. And that's not typical of a traditional bank, much less a digital bank. So it looks like you're setting yourself apart. Yeah, we definitely see that as a differentiation um, mechanism for us as well. Mm. And you have raised capital. Are you planning on raising another round soon? And what are you using that spend for? Because I imagine it takes quite a bit to build something like you've built so far. Yeah, um, I will be raising again, um, hopefully not too soon. But, you know, really the way that we think about venture capital is like, is this capital necessary one? And is it necessary for us to, you know, have that exponential growth? And so Mm -hmm. often you'll find that that money is being spent on engineering to hire more engineers, Mm -hmm. um, some marketing events um, and marketing, you know, human resources. So like those kinds of things like team and, and product build are what we, you know, spend capital on. So being that you were from a VC background, what was your raising experience like? And do you feel like you had a, a leg up on maybe the the typical black female founder? Because that our demographic does have a harder time, I would say, raising capital. Oh, yeah, we definitely do have the hardest time. Um, I I think the first time I went out to raise, I definitely, you know, had a leg up to some extent because I had more warm intros, like some of them were people that I already have relationships with. Mm -hmm. And so it wasn't necessarily that like my ratio of yes, yeses was higher, but you know, the meetings that I got were like that conversion rate was higher. I didn't really struggle to like meet people or get, you know, get calls with partners or get pitches with partners. Um, That said, it still was hard to get people to say yes, right? Like not only am I a Black woman, I'm a Black woman explicitly building something for Black people. Um, Mm -hmm. And in my deck, I'm very explicit about that as well. I talk about that up front. 
Um, and so I think, you know, when there was the frenzy around like this racial reckoning or so, you know, they call it, there was, I think, more appetite to have that conversation and less so now. So I'm interested to see what this experience will be like now that, you know, it's all died down and there's just kind of more, you know, hesitance in the market in general, like that you, you know, kind of referenced earlier. Mm-hmm. Well, given all that you've accomplished so far, what's next for you? What do you, what's the next kind of version 2.0, 3.0 look like for Guava? I mean, it's just growth for us. You know, I'm excited about seeing, you know, Guava members in person. I'm excited about seeing, you know, brick and mortar stores and pop-ups that are supported by Guava. And maybe Mm -hmm. like, instead of seeing American Express stickers in their window, seeing Guava stickers in their window, um, you know, some of the things that, you know, are the grand vision that I have for, you know, the impact that we can have and the, the ways that we can support communities are like, you know, in different par- pockets of America, there are these like historical um, Black business districts that are often like really underinvested in um, mm. for, you know, reasons that we can all imagine. Um yeah you know, and Guava playing a role with like the community leaders there to revitalize some of those districts um, and bring them back to their, you know, their once glory, I think is something that I'm excited to see us play a role in in the future. Obviously there's a lot to do before that, but um, yeah, that's kind of what I dream about and what kind of keeps me motivated. Mm. I, I think the mission that you're embarking on is one that's absolutely needed by this community, but it's also quite a mountain to climb. So as far as your balance as an individual, how are you taking care of yourself just to make sure that you do stay strong as a leader for the marathon ahead? Yeah, um, I'm really rigid about like my personal routine. So I get eight, seven out eight, seven hours of sleep every night. Okay. Um, so I'm not one of those founders that are like grinding and never sleeping. I think my team thinks I don't sleep because I'm like slacking them at five and at 10. But like, <laughs> that's just like when I wake up and go to bed. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, have a really strict, you know, fitness routine too, which at first was like about my body and now is more about my my brain and just like kind of having that hour to clear my head. Um, other than that, like I, you know, try to take care of myself. I try to, like, I don't take a vacation as regularly as I need to, because I will like just take my laptop wherever I am. (laughs) So that's something I'm working on. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, I have a a therapist, I have an executive coach. I have like people around me to support me through the process. Um, and so that has been really, really helpful and important to maintain. Mm. I did hear someone say this recently that as the higher you get to maybe the pinnacle of a career, the lonelier it gets and the more help that you need because people assume that you should know it all, right? By the time you reach that level in your career, but no, that's when you need the most help, right? And help is scarce at that level. So I'm glad that you have surrounded yourself with a lot of people who can really help you get to that next level and also help you grow in general. Yeah, it's, um, I genuinely can't imagine doing this without support. And so for anyone who does want to follow your journey and follow the growth of Guava, where can we find you? Yeah, um, they can find Guava on every platform at Join Guava. So on Instagram and Twitter and 
TikTok and LinkedIn. Um, that's our handle everywhere. Um, and you can find me and Kelly Eiffel. Um, yeah, um, we're, you know, public and available. You can reach out to me. I'd love to, to chat with anyone who's interested. Sounds good. Thank you so much for sharing your story with us, Kelly. Thank you for having me. Hi, Offscripters. I'm so glad you made it to the end of this episode. If you found this show helpful, please pay it forward by sharing us with your network and leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts. Between episodes, you can find us on Instagram. Our handle is at She's Offscript. Or you can catch up on past episodes at She's Offscript.com. All right, with that, we'll see you right back here next Thursday for another episode. Bye.